0: Welcome to Ghost of a Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Lignato. I'm an astrologer, psychic medium, and animal communicator. And I'm going to give you your weekly horoscope and no bullshit mystical advice for living your very best life. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Leslie Mosier, who is the host of Diving, the Diving In Podcast, which you have to listen to, and momager of Doug the Pug, I just feel like it's
1: really cool to be a momager in general of it's, a pug. It's a dream. I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I won't call myself it, but other people have called me the Kris Jenner of pugs. <gasps> so I think that's a pretty cool thing. <laughs>
0: that is pretty. It is a pretty remarkable role to have in the world. I mean, there's just like how many Kris Jenners of pugs can there be? Right. It's very niche. It's very <laughs> niche.
1: Um, and today we're going to check in and talk to Doug the pug. Yes. Are we? I'm not? so excited. I've. You know, personally been to psychics and done a lot of things and in my inner work and spirituality. And you know, Doug has come up a bit, but I've never gotten the chance to truly connect with him through um someone like you. So I'm very eager to see what he says and the funny nuances that come up with our cats in the house and all of that. Oh, stuff. you have cats as well. Yes. Okay, so let's cats. let's
0: just go in. So will you say Doug's name? And then the cat's names actually
1: say everybody's name in the house. We've got Doug, Fiona, and Teddy. Okay. And what do you call Doug at home?
0: Dougie or bubs. Okay. Hold on. And is he kind of like, uh, I wanted to say middle age, but that's not, not in a human way, but is he like three, four years old?
1: No, um, Doug, it turns 10 in may Fiona is four.
0: Okay. So it's funny because I was really fixated on Fiona, but I was trying to focus on Doug. We're going to talk to Fiona first. Is that okay? Oh my gosh. Yes. She's like kind of the, um, I mean, if, if your momager to Doug, Fiona's momager to all is how it feels like she feels like the boss. Does that make sense to you? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And what do you call her? Fuzzy. Okay. So there's a bunch of things. She has like a place. She sits like a perch higher than everyone. Or is that just her personality? It is. She actually physically has a perch.
1: She's always up on things. Yeah.
0: Yeah. She's really into being up on things for a number of reasons. One, <laughs> she thinks everyone
1: smells like
0: she's got like a thing about smells and she thinks everybody smells. And so she's like keeping herself physically <laughs> separated from these boys. Um, The other cat's a boy cat. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. She literally likes to be above people, which I respect as a woman a lot. Like, I think she's very charming. She is a person who wants to be seen as powerful and impressive. And she is um, kind of easily exhausted by people. Like, she just feels like all these people could learn things and then be better around her. I wouldn't say she's a very happy cat because she's not exactly happy. She's more like, you know... A very exhausted queen oh you are nailing it on the head <laughs> <laughs> of course she came through first because she's yeah. the queen of the household she is um, the queen. so she's kind of an exhausted queen but she feels you know she feels happy to rule over her queendom, and she gets fed really well she's showing me that she's really chubby is that true she's she's chubby, yeah. she, she, she well, loves they,
1: they have like chubby cheeks. That's their whole breed is like very like chubby roundness. Know, so she's I love that.
0: She's, she's proud of her cool. chubbiness. I, I don't know if that's, you know, thanks to you always telling her how cute and and chub, chubby her cheeks are, but she's showing it to me with like a sense of pride. The things that bother her, she's kind of happy to be bothered by, like the annoying peons upon the ground. Um The
1: other cat doesn't jump up high frequently. No, he, he doesn't, but he's always trying to chase her. He. Okay. What's his name again? Teddy. And what do you
0: actually call him? Teddison. There it is. Okay, good. Thank you. Hold on. He's a much more simple person. Like he's a much more simple person. He is very like a meat and potatoes kind of guy. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? He wants to play when he wants to play. He wants to snooze when he wants to snooze. He has no preference between the cat or the dog as like roommates or like siblings, I mean, sometimes both of them bug him, but like, he's so simple. It's just like, he gets over it really easily. Is he a snuggler? Oh yeah. He, cause he feels like he just loves to be in a crook. Uh, it's just like, he likes to like pop into a corner. And when he does that, he's just like incredibly happy. I, I hesitate to say that Fiona is a low maintenance person because she's the opposite of a low maintenance person, but on a certain level, these cats are so low maintenance because they're very like self-possessed. They know their place in the family. They're very happy cats. Um, are you planning on having a human baby? Um, no. Okay, because Fiona's not into it. She doesn't like oh, cool. she doesn't want you to have <laughs> any babies. She's not a fan of you having to bring in more dependents. Like she knows what that would be. So wow. I don't know why that is. I
1: don't know if you've had kids in the house or if she lived in a different household do do, you had kids in the house we've had some kids in the house yeah she's she's very much the cat that um will hide under the bed while people are over and and teddy is like i mean he's like a dog he'll run up to people and fetch i mean it's it's kind of crazy that's adorable it's adorable (laughs) and also teddy's
0: again meat and potatoes he's like you want to play you want to play i'll play you don't want to play i won't play it's not a problem whereas she's she doesn't like the unpredictability of a lot of people and she doesn't feel like people understand how to engage with her she's large and in charge so she's thrilled if you never have a child she's thrilled for it um so congratulations
1: you have a cat <laughs> so do you have any questions about the cats before we dug the pug you I guess my one question would be if Fiona will ever and I, I think based on what you connected with her my the answer would be no but would Fiona Ever be more tolerant of Teddy because no. they have moments. Nope. Sorry. It's sorry. just gonna be <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I just
0: like she has this very quick you keep on going
1: because maybe I'll get
0: more yeah. of a question and then
1: I'll give you more of an answer. She's been because we just hit a year. Teddy's only a year old, and we just hit a year of him being in the house. And right around that year mark, I mean, almost to the day, we noticed that she was letting him lay near her and they'll like share a bed, but when it comes to walking around the house and walking around the corners, you know, Teddy's very young. He wants to play. And so there's a lot of hissing from her end and getting angry and being more skittish. And we obviously want her to be happy, but I think she is happy. So it's just this whole, like, it's her personality. You know. She's so it's a couple of things. Okay. So she
0: doesn't want to be on the same level as Teddy because she's not, So therefore, no, is the really the answer. Um, But will it evolve over time that they have more of an understanding and that he's Mm -hmm. kind of better suited to interacting with her? Yes. And also no, because Teddy's going to Teddy, you know, yeah, he's going to Teddy. And so there's no, is that one of them now? Doug just kicked my leg. Okay. Doug's turn is next. Um, She's not unhappy with Teddy there. She's not. Sometimes she really enjoys him and sometimes she finds him to be a nuisance to be dealt with annoying little brother. Yeah. Yeah. Or even more specifically a subject to be managed and ruled (laughs) (laughs) like it might become more familial and sibling oriented over time, but she really does enjoy feeling like she manages people. So she's, (laughs) she really does see him as, as someone to be kept in line. Honestly, she feels that way with the two of you as well, with you and your husband as well. Um, mm-hmm. She just feels that everyone is a subject to be kept in line. And she feels happy to do the job. She feels well-equipped to do the job.
1: We named her well. We named her Princess Fiona. And <laughs> you- she's she's <laughs> elevated to a queen. Yes, so. she has elevated herself to the queen. Luckily, not through murder,
0: but it could have been with her mm-hmm. personality. Yes. So, um, and we can come back to them. But let's check in with Doug and say his name and then what you actually call him again. Doug, Dougie, bubs. Okay, there he is. Got him. Okay. Is there anything you want to ask him?
1: There is some stuff I want to ask him. Does he miss the traveling? Because before COVID stuff, we traveled so much. And yeah, does he miss traveling? You know,
0: he doesn't miss it. No, he enjoyed it so much.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, He enjoys people. And he got a lot of great attention when you traveled. So he really enjoyed it. There's parts of traveling he doesn't enjoy, though, mm-hmm. but he's had a really great time with you in this period. He's gotten more attention from you. He's had a lot of really actually great experiences through COVID, um, obviously mm-hmm. not related to COVID, uh, but related to how stable things have been for his experience. I'm sure not completely from yours. So he doesn't miss it. No, he enjoyed it. If it comes back, he'll enjoy it. But he's, I mean hopefully, you know, that this is a very happy, well-adjusted dog, Mm -hmm. you know, dogs are a little more in the moment than humans. So like, while they absolutely can miss people and things, even their experience of missing is often really different than what we identify as missing, but because things have been so great for him, there's nothing to really miss. I love that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's really, it's very nice. It's very nice. That makes me very happy. Good. Yeah, We've, we've definitely, you know, we don't want to go back to the amount of traveling that we had before, even though, you know, he did great and we did great, but it's like, there's a whole different way of doing things now. And it yeah. feels much more right. And just, you know, I've become more protective of Doug's time and energy and what we'll say yes to, and what we'll say no mm-hmm. to. So that feels very, very in line for sure. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. And he's a, uh- I mean, he really likes attention.
0: Like he he doesn't have Fiona's problem at all. Like he really enjoys attention. So whatever amount of attention he gets, he's happy if it's exclusively from you or from many people.
1: So for whatever that's worth. So I have a question that I think, um, well, I I personally want to know, but also Doug's followers would want to know, what does Doug think about a pug sibling, a baby pug? Interesting. You must have asked him this
0: before. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, he's on the fence. He feels like it would make you happy. And so he's inclined to want to do it. Um, So you must have told him you wanted a a baby pug and that you thought it'd be really cute. And you've probably shown him images from your mind. You've probably shown him images of how fun it would be for him to play with a sibling pug. Um, Yeah. He's perfectly happy. He is not missing anything. So does he want a sibling? Not exactly. No, he does not. But he doesn't want me to say no to you because he wants to make you happy. And he understands that you believe that having another pug will make you happy. He doesn't know that that's true, but he understands that you believe it's true. So I don't know if that's accurate
1: or not, but that's what he's saying. So first of all, is that accurate? That is. Yeah, that's so accurate. Doug and I have an extremely close soul connection. I mean, I have never experienced this with any animal in my life and I don't believe I will again, he, Mm -hmm. he and I are connected beyond anything. And yeah, I, I suffer with anxiety about him because Mm -hmm. I always just want him to be okay. And I, I'm. I get into that fear intrusive mindset where I'm so afraid that the shoe's going to drop and something's going to happen to him. And so he and I will bounce off each other. And then I have to stop myself and be like, he's picking up on my anxiety here. I don't want him. Um, But one thing that, you know, and I don't know if he's able to give this to me, but like any sort of reassurance that the shoe's not going to drop and he is going to be here for a very long time. He, He definitely can't reassure. Like he
0: doesn't, I've never met an animal who was scared of dying. So mm-hmm. I've met animals who are dying and they have fear in the process of it. But mm-hmm. there's no preemptive fear of dying that I've ever encountered in an animal in all my years of communicating with animals because it's a natural part of living. Mm-hmm. And they have a different relationship to it. They also have a different relationship to physical pain Yeah, than we do. We are very averse to it and animals have a different tolerance they have a different experience of it he feels that he is younger than you feel he is and now that's starting to make more sense to me because if you're like please never die please never die please never have any health problems please stay young forever he's like hey lady i'm not that old what are you worried about you know <laughs> what i mean it's not his tone of voice that's my tone of voice yeah he, that's definitely not how he talks um, <laughs> but but he's he doesn't have any problems and i know pugs can have health problems
1: yeah i mean pugs do have certain predispositions. Doug though, I mean, we have an herbalist for him. He eats the highest quality food. Um, you know, we've, we've done energy work for him, all of the above. He lives a very, uh, acupuncture every three weeks. Um, so he even visually looks a lot younger than other pugs do at his age. And the cool thing about our job is we've met pugs, Pug owners and pugs from all over. And we've had people tell us, like, my pug lived till 19, my pug lived till 21. Oh, that's awesome. So um, yeah, I just I I do feel he he's always showing me, like, you don't need to worry about me. Like, look how happy I am. Look how like he's like sprite, like he plays every day and wakes up with his tail wagging and his breathing um, is really good. He -hmm. keeps on wanting me to tell you his breathing is good. So I don't
0: know. Are you sometimes worried about his breathing?
1: I guess I'm worried that a problem could develop and we've just gotten really lucky until now because he's, that's, that's one thing that pugs do have an issue with sometimes is Is their breathing. breathing, Yeah.
0: Well, he's telling, he's slightly confused why you're so fixated on it because his breathing's fine. And he's like, Mm -hmm. is my breathing fine? My breathing's fine. So here's a multi-part answer to your question. The first part Mm -hmm. is your concern about his health and lifespan is putting ideas in his head that something might be wrong when he's mm. perfectly healthy and happy and well adjusted and feels very young and chill so when you name it as anxiety, I want to really like support you and like yes, this is anxiety and mm-hmm. when the anxiety comes up and it's not in response to like he's falling and he can't get up like if it's not about <laughs> yeah. something um then instead of chasing the thought i want to encourage you to be like oh shit this is me being in an anxiety mode because i love this dog so much that i'm scared of losing him and not because there's anything that i can do or should do right now so tend to like oh wow loving someone this much is terrifying yeah cuz because that's the honest emotion and then you're not communicating a concern about his welfare to him you're communicating a concern about your ability to love to him and then It'll be easier on him and more honest and ultimately easier for you. Now, the other part of what I want to say though, is this is the tragedy of loving animals Mm -hmm. that have different lifespans than we do. You can't get around that. I mean, you just, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah,
1: no. And that's, it's very helpful. And I've, I've made more of a conscious effort. Doug's herbalist actually brought it up and she, she was like, you can't be like, you can't hold Doug when you're in that anxious state. He is mm-hmm. like trying to take that away from you and he's taking it on himself. And so I've been much more aware of, you know, speaking things to him, like, I won't worry about you. You won't worry about me. And then mm-hmm. like, I instantly have that body rush of like, everything's good. Like how lucky are we that he's so happy and health? like, I can just look at him. And like you said, he feels so young at heart. He looks so young and that will take away a lot of it, but um, it's a lot of work. You know, we, when we love our animals so much, it's, it's yeah, it's hard. It's devastating. I mean, Mm -hmm. loss
0: is the shit side of love. You know, grief is the shit side of love. And when you really love someone, it's hard to not project into what it would feel like to lose them Mm -hmm. and to try to like get ahead of those feelings because of how terrifying they are. Part of what I want to like bring your attention to is that Hold on. Now say
1: your full name. Leslie Mosier. That's not your full name. Leslie Ann Mosier. Thank you. Sorry. I see energy <laughs> on go. names. So, sorry. Yeah. I, I need I need
0: it all. Um this is like a you issue, right? This mm-hmm. this there's this part of your you and actually this is a lot like Fiona. You get fixated on a thing that feels bad and then you kind of keep on checking it and checking it and checking it and for you with Doug some of this is just really authentic, and some of it's actually a habit. It's like part of how you love him is by like checking everything to make sure everything's perfect. And so it's hard to be as attentive as you are,
1: and to also are you are you laughing? <laughs> is that yeah, true? no, my husband's laughing in the corner because he's <laughs> like, This is this is exactly <laughs> <laughs> I think the
0: superstition inside of all of this for you is how can I be as attentive as I am and also not obsessively fear the worst because you feel like that that like hypervigilance is what keeps him safe. So how could you stop being hypervigilant if you want him to stay safe? Like it's a lot of assumptions folded into each other. So it's hard for you to pull them apart. And so I would recommend doing something to the effect of like, Giving this a nickname, this compulsion, this like complex nuanced compulsion, giving it a nickname, be like, oh, this is my paper hat. Whatever, I just made that up. I don't know why. But like this is my paper hat. So whenever it comes up, you can easily identify it. And when we name things or we number things, it like gives us a little separation from them. And you're really good on at working on shit once you've identified what needs to be worked on. But there's yep. a part of you that doesn't want to fix this because your hypervigilance is what
1: keeps him baby fresh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're, you're so right. I think a lot of it stems from, we had a traumatic experience and, um, the ball kind of did drop with Doug and it, everything is obviously fine now, but I had given him this, he was only like three years old, a medication to help with some itching. And he had an extremely rare allergic reaction and his platelet levels dropped life threateningly low. And he had to be in the hospital for several nights. And so, oh, my brain is always like, Oh my God, like we have to prevent something like that from happening again. Cause it was truly the universe looking out for us. My husband just so happened to bring him for some routine blood work. And that's when these like spots popped up, which were the platelets. And so if we hadn't gotten that blood work, we would have taken a bit longer to figure it out. So I know that everything has our back, but I, I it is is a trauma it's PTSD like I am yeah. I am working on it but um, all of this is so reassuring and helpful and
0: let me throw something else into the mix of that which is in your birth chart
1: because you <laughs> did share your birth chart with me yeah.
0: July 17th 1992 1247 p.m in Adak, Alaska okay so in your birth chart you've got a Saturn opposition to Mercury and what this does is a lot of things but relevant to this conversation, it gives you a hypervigilance. That's your nature. Platelet problem or not. This is your nature. You can be really uh rigid in your thinking when you're scared and kind of return to things with an editorial mind. And so there's this way that you're looking at anything you love. Doug is like the, the topic of conversation right now because the love is so pure and, and the baby is so golden. But <laughs> also like, you know, this is kind of like a thing that extends beyond Doug for you, where you can look at it with an editorial mind of like how can i make it better how can i make it better how can i make it better which is on a like more spiritual level how can i be safe how can i make me better yeah and There's a a kind of function of this part of your nature, which is really healthy and makes your life so much better, actually, and and keeps things organized and together. And then there's a line, and it's so easy to cross it. And you spend a lot of time on the other side of the line, and it makes you miserable and can actually make things worse long term, right? And so I think for you, another bit of advice I would give you, and, and we'll come back to Doug in a moment here, but when you have something that you tend to stress about, write out notes. And like, you can write out like notes about like 30 points of things that are important and that need managing and then pick three and then pick three. And each day you can focus on three, not four, not 17, three. It's about narrowing your focus to what's constructive and productive. Because for instance, with Doug, there are so many things that you do that are constructive and productive and worrying about his health in between those things is not one of them because you've already done the things. Mm -hmm. so in organizing your thinking that way it's not going to make your feelings change in the short term but over time it will because you'll have a reliable internal container that you can work with which is basically what you do for everyone else just Mm -hmm. do it for yourself
1: yeah (laughs) I love that cool (laughs) okay good so do you have other questions for Doug um is there a favorite memory that comes up for him that's interesting
0: so I'll, I'll preface this with I've rarely had dogs share memories with me. Um, people ask me about dog memories a lot because I think a lot of times because they adopt dogs and they're like, well, what happened before? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, animals are often very zen. But hold on. That said, let me see if he gives me something. Do you put him in outfits? Yeah. <laughs> um, and do you put him in hats? Specifically? Sometimes. Okay. It's weird. Dogs either fucking hate or love clothes. He seems to like them. hmm And he especially likes the way people react to him in clothes. Is there like a, a little soft hat that you've given him or that he's worn?
1: Definitely. Yeah. Okay.
0: And was it for like a photo shoot or like a whole day of outfits or a day where he got tons of attention and
1: care? Yeah. We've had, we've had a few big like commercials or photo shoots and like New York, where there's a crew of, you know, 50 people and he, he gets the shot and they're all clapping for him and, and he he's loves like it. So okay. happy. Yeah. So th-
0: that's what he's showing me. He's showing me like, he's almost showing it to me like photographs. And I don't think it's because he understands the photographs mm-hmm. per se, but he's showing me these like moments where he was <laughs> dressed up and everyone was so excited by it. <laughs> like so excited by it he loves it and there's something about I don't know if it's like this time or these times where he wore these soft hats or if he just quite likes the soft hat like is he are you giving him like a toque you know what a toque is you're from Alaska, yeah
1: right? yeah beanies it's a beanie yeah it's a beanie uh, yeah. yeah
0: is that what you have him wear uh-huh he he just keeps on showing me this it's a blue beanie I I don't know if it's the right color but he keeps on showing me this little beanie and he just loves that was like a great memory for him whenever he wears that beanie so. It could just be because you happen to put the beanie on him in these special occasions where everyone's like, you're the queen of the castle. Hold on. Is he very particular about going for walks to pee? Mm-hmm. He has a really certain things just feel dirty to him and he's not interested in doing them. Um, he's very particular about going for walks and peeing. And the two, <laughs> you and your husband have very different ways of relating to that.
1: Yeah, no, we have a beautiful front yard that's fenced in, beautiful backyard that's fenced in. And we'll like let him outside. I'm like, go pee, go poop. And he'll like go a little bit. But it, if we really want him to go, we have to take him down the street. That makes sense. And is it like, it looks almost like AstroTurf, like
0: perfectly manicured lawn. You you keep your lawn like tight and short?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. We have so, the, the, the lawn people even- their logo is a pug now that comes they love Doug so much that's so cute
0: he doesn't he doesn't find that to be the way like he's got a very particular way that he likes to get his business done and he would prefer that there was less of a conversation about it every time Okay. He's Dead. not a diva. I'm saying it in a way that makes me sound yeah. like a diva. Oh,
1: he's, he's just, he he's, be a diva.
0: he's, but he's not even, he's just more like, that's his preference. You know, he's mm-hmm. trying to be chill. He, he tries to accommodate, but yeah. Yeah. He just wanted you to know that's he doesn't hilarious. prefer the astroturf. That's how he kind of is showing me
1: your, your lawn. It's, it's maybe it's too short. Yeah. He, so- he does. When we take him on a walk, he goes to the longest grasses and we, we do, say stuff about it. Cause we're like, we don't want you to get fleas. We don't want you to get yeah. a tick. We, you know, Doug, don't, don't go in the long grass, but he, he's like a little bull. I mean, he's a Taurus. He charges yep. straight through it. He does like the way it feels. He's okay. not going to, he's not going to change the, what his preferences are, are his preferences. He grew he tries- up yeah. to like peeing in monkey grass in our apartments complex. And it's like that long monkey grass. Ah. So I wonder if we could plant some of that for him and let some grass grow and see
0: how that goes I would because he's he's trying to be he tries to be accommodating he's not like miserable or whatever but he just knows what he likes Mm -hmm. and I don't think he prefers the way it feels to walk on the grass when it's so short because it's a little sharper yeah again it sounds like he's a diva but he's really not he's just sharing his preferences because this is one of the few things that he struggles with, with the two of you. Like, it's like a conversation all the time when he feels like, why is this a conversation? But, so this is like why he's bringing it up. It's the, literally the only thing, not his food, not his water. He likes the clothes. He like, he, he likes everything, but the pee time. He doesn't even like talking about poop though. He's like a little dainty in that yeah,
1: way. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, for sure.
0: It's remarkable. I've never met a dog like this before, but he he's talking to me about peeing and not pooping. <laughs> Dougie. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. What else so, do you want to know?
1: I just thought of one thing. So about a year ago, we started the Doug the Pug Foundation, and it helps children with childhood cancer and other life-threatening illnesses. And it's been probably the most rewarding thing that we've gotten to do mm-hmm. with Doug's stardom fame, select you know, following pre-COVID, we would get to bring him to the children's hospitals. And it was kind of like an out-of-body experience watching him interact with these kids who really needed this love. And I mean, it just showed us how beyond special he is. Mm. And now it's a little different because, you know, we have to do more events that aren't hospital-based, but, you know, he's still able to raise all this money and like doing these incredible things. I guess I just wanted to know if he, he realizes the impact that he's been able to have mm-hmm. on people. People always ask us, like, does he know he's famous? Like, does he know, not even that he's famous because I, I think he knows that he loves the attention, but does he know that he's like changed people's lives? It's interesting. He definitely doesn't frame it that way. Um,
0: he loved going to the hospital he loved it he loved he he like he would get on the kids eh? yeah yeah he keeps on showing me that he would get on them and he knew they were sick and yeah. he knew he was helping them um so he really did like it it was a little exhausting for him but mm-hmm. it was like worth it he was into it he knows he's loved and he knows that he has like all the love he could ever want and he knows that you feel loved because of him and not just from him Mm-hmm. So he's aware of all of those things, but he's not, I don't think he has a context for like internet fame or, you know what I mean? <laughs> like he doesn't have a context for that. There may be a awesome. lot of, a lot of explaining to do, um, yeah. but he's, he can't, he has nothing compared to. He just feels like, oh, this is like a happy dog life.
1: You know, yeah. he doesn't realize yeah, like he best. has an
0: exceptional dog life. It's interesting. He does miss going to the hospital. He did not tell me that he missed traveling, but he does miss lying on sick kids and that's what the way he shows it to me like he just shows me like kind of lies on their their bodies like he touches them yeah and that was really important to him because he he could feel them being helped he understands why it's not happening but Mm -hmm. he he hopes it happens again um hold on is he a prancer does he kind of like prance his little feet yeah okay he just he, he keeps on showing me him like prancing through the hospital like he just feels very proud of that job he just feels very very proud of that and and he does feel like that's a job like it's a job he's really happy to have um yeah he's a a really sweet guy but he doesn't feel more famous than fiona (laughs) like he understands that he's a dog and he gets different attention and he goes out and she doesn't but he understands the hierarchy in the house so keeping it humble. She keeps him in check. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Go she, Fiona. She's trying to keep everyone in check and including you and your husband, just why
1: she believes that's <laughs> her role in life. So, you know, all hail is what I say. I'll hail. <laughs> well, that was the best. Thank you so much to my give pleasure. me the chance to talk to all of them.
0: That was so it's cool. My joy. Now, yes. did you have any questions
1: you wanted to ask me about you? <sighs> Yeah. So I guess I can give you and kind of the listeners a little bit of a backstory. I've gone through hell with my (laughs) health journey. I am on the road up the way up. I've suffered from from endometriosis for the past like seven, eight years. And (sighs) thank you. I had my excision surgery, which was a huge day, like Big, big surgery on January 17th of this past year. So I'm three months officially post op. I'm feeling so much better. I've had three cycles without excruciating, debilitating pain. And so life truly feels, thank you, life feels a lot lighter. You know, the future feels lighter, but there's a lot that comes with it. And, you know, I do also still have autoimmune issues, Hashimoto's, you know issues with foods, just the whole thing. And I'm just kind of curious. I know I'm in my Saturn return right now. I just want to see what you think my chart says about this health journey and what I can kind of, um, hone in on. I've listened to other episodes of yours. There was one episode with the girl who had ovarian cysts Mm -hmm. and it was like, you were talking to me because she and I had so much in common. Um, so yeah, Yeah, that's kind of it. (laughs) So, okay, lots of things. First of all, so your Saturn
0: return is officially over. You're in the integration phase, but in your birth chart, you have Saturn in the fifth house and it's part of a T-square, which is where we find the endometriosis. So your Saturn return was getting the surgery. (laughs) It was, your Saturn return was over in February. So your Saturn return was the surgery. It was the kind of freedom that would come from taking responsibility for your health journey. And I imagine making sacrifices, you know, so that's a lot. And do you want me to slow down at all? No,
1: it just makes me emotional because it was such a big decision and the scariest thing. And it wasn't covered under insurance. And, you know, it was a huge, like, are we going to go for this? Is this like, this has to be the thing that works. Um, after trying everything for years. And just hearing that is the biggest, like, I knew it. Feeling. Yeah. So you, you're, told you're uh, I wouldn't cry, but <laughs> no, you're, you're good to cry. And also
0: <laughs> you 100% did the right thing because the surgery, it looks like was really more than anything. You really at the risk of sounding dramatic, but, but it is this dramatic feeling for you, you deciding to be here and you investing in yourself. That's Mm -hmm. what this was. And, you know, I don't know if you have any kind of like fears around medical stuff, but your chart kind of looks like it. Um, So getting a surgery, some people are like, Oh, well, I got to get a surgery. You're probably not one of those people. It's, it is a big deal now in regards to, so let me be grounded in this question because you said Hashimoto's
1: and something else, mostly just the Hashimoto's and hormonal imbalance and like adrenal fatigue and yeah. just unable to feel that balanced, like back to everything kind of flowing properly and working properly. Mm-hmm. And stillness. So are you on
0: medications for Hashimoto's specifically? Yes. Okay. And do you feel like they work? Not really. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I've never met anyone with a thyroid condition who's really <laughs> yeah, happy with their right? medication. It's just like, <laughs> like constantly shifting and it's terrible. Um, and you do energy work in herbology for your dog. How about for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've, I, I do all that stuff. Yeah. Great. So I'm looking at your Venus Chiron conjunction um, in Leo, and that's where we see the Hashimoto's, the um, difficulty in getting the right treatment is kind of articulated in a few places in your chart, unfortunately. Although I think pretty much everyone who has Hashimoto's has a hard time getting the right treatment. You know, I hate to say this to you. I feel real bad about it, but diet, Mm. like there are so many things that your body just doesn't do well digesting.
1: Um, So do you have a restricted diet? I do. I am gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free. I... Um, three months, no alcohol. It wasn't something that I drank a lot mm-hmm. or very frequently, but it would totally wreck me for days if I did. Yeah. And then as of today and listening to your podcast yesterday, I think I'm, I need to make a hard stop on caffeine because it has been really, I just don't feel like my body is able to metabolize what it should. Mm-hmm. I agree. So
0: I'm glad to hear, I mean, I'm sorry about all those dietary <laughs> restrictions, but I'm glad to hear. I don't know that you do well with spice, like hot stuff, we like very yeah. hot stuff. But yeah, chocolate, caffeine, alcohol, enemies. They're your enemies, unfortunately. Chocolate. I know. <sighs> so ignore that as much as you like. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't want to encourage you to be rigid with yourself yeah. because that'll create its own problems. But it's more about really recognizing that your body- is incredibly sensitive and it really likes certain things and it really doesn't like everything else. Mm -hmm. And that there's a way that when you're in the stage right now of kind of like shifting foundationally your health, your dietary stuff, I think you probably need to be a little more restricted to give your body a real chance. And then when things get a little more stable feeling in your system, that's when you can experiment with like extra bits of chocolate. And what about tea if I can't have coffee and that kind of stuff? but this moon in the 6th house you have it square to mars it it gives you um it's like you do really well with eating all day long small amounts large meals do not do well with your system and this kind of destabilizes you and this obviously I'm not a fucking doctor hopefully this agrees with what doctors <laughs> say to you right i mm-hmm. have to say that just i know it's obvious but i have to say it but you know it looks like what happens is when your digestive stuff is off everything gets a little worse with with your immune stuff and mm. it's going to be a whole new world for you now that you have hopefully handled the endometriosis like life is going to be a whole new thing but your system is just incredibly sensitive and you get thrown off it doesn't just throw off your physical health it kind of looks like it hurts your feelings like when your body doesn't work the way you want it to it makes you emo Um, And you're a cancer, so you're entitled, you know, but it's still really, it's still really rough. Also recovering your adrenals is slow, slow work. It's such slow work. And I would say of all the things you have going on, that's the one to prioritize right now. I don't know if that's what you are prioritizing. The reason why I say this is partially because I do see kind of like you have an acidic body type and you are like a stressy person. Which is weird because you're also really good at relaxing and being a hedonist. But but when you're not stressing and relaxing, you're a stressy person. Like it's just like, it's either or it looks like for you. And so the thing about the symptoms of adrenal fatigue and the symptoms of Hashimoto's are hard to parse out from each other. I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. noticed that as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so dealing with the adrenal stuff, I think will help clarify what your thyroid needs. Whereas if you focus on the Hashimoto's, it, it's going to be a little bit harder to, again, parse it out. And I think a lot of times doctors, you know, like conventional doctors are really happy to deal with Hashimoto's and not so happy to deal with adrenal fatigue stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so it just makes it like, you know, kind of you're on your own, which is really frustrating, but this is where you're at. Now, say your full name one more time for me. Leslie Ann Mosher. Are you still recovering from the surgery? Yeah. Yeah, that's what it feels like when I look at you energetically, it's almost like you haven't integrated. It's like you took this part of your body and you put it outside of you because it was painful on a lot of levels. It was painful. And then the surgery was so invasive. And if you're still doing energy work, if you're still working with the healer, or if you just do like basic five minute long meditation in bed before you go to sleep, I would practice like talking to your body and touching your body and being like hey buddy we're in this together let's mm-hmm. l- l- let's let's get to know each other again like let's yeah. let's be friends because that already helps like when i look at you energetically that already just like it it already helps like you're very good with energy work you're good at trusting your intuition once you give yourself permission to trust your intuition you're just weird with giving yourself permission yeah yeah your inner dad is kind of a dick but when, when he like gets on board, you're all, you're good. You're good. right? So I do see that that will help. And also again, not a doctor do you like work with vagus nerve.
1: Do you do like nervous system work, work with your vagus nerve at all? I could do more of it. So our next door neighbor is actually does like brain work. And she like, I remember one time she let me borrow like a vagus nerve tool that you like it. Yeah. Does this whole thing, so I can make that more of a priority. I would encourage you to, and there's like YouTube and like all this kind of
0: stuff. I mean, there's so many really simple free things you can do. I would play with all of them and pick whatever feels the most sustainable because it's better for you to do it more frequently than for you to do the perfect thing rarely. Okay, you know what I mean. And I can see you get quite perfectionistic, so (laughs) you know it's it's the consistency. Hold on, and do you want to?
1: You said you don't want to birth human babies. Is that correct? Um, at this time, I don't, my husband and I are not really wanting to. You're, you're <laughs> not there at this time. Yeah. I, I'm not a hundred percent closed off to it, but in no way is that something that I desire currently.
0: Great. I just want to take a moment to validate that.
1: <laughs> uh, yes, please. I need cancer. all the in-
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're a cancer. And so lots of people will say, you're a cancer. You'll be a great mom. Also your personality. People meet you and they're like, oh my God, do you have 50 children? Like you got the personality of somebody who'd be a great caretaker, nurturer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't see that you want to be a parent. There's none of the markers that I look for in your chart for wanting to be a parent. And so it's not just about procreation, although that too, it's about parenting. If you felt like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be a
1: mom. Uh, I want to validate. Yeah. I see that you felt that. And also I don't see it changing. It might, but I don't see it. I keep waiting for it to come. You know, I'm at the age where all of our friends are starting to have kids and I, I love their kid. I babysat our friend's baby yesterday and he was, he's the cutest baby ever. Like I should be like, you know, if I wanted it, my ovaries would be like, you want a baby, like, you know, go have a baby. But I've, I've felt guilt about that. I've, you know, there's, it's, I don't know. I do feel like Rob and I would be great parents, but I also don't feel like it would be fair to have a child just because that's what we should do. And so we take it very seriously. And I'm proud of us as a couple for having the conversations that we do and asking ourselves, okay, but do we want to be parents? Like, I'm not trying to think about what's going to happen when we're really old? Who's going to take care of us? You know, it's like, no, do we want a child? And I just like, I just want more pug.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I do see that. Honestly, you know, there's nothing in your chart that suggests that you would be happier with human babies. Honestly, also the ways that your relationship thrives from what I'm seeing in your birth chart, some of them would go away if you had kids some meaningful ways would go away if you had kids because kids are constant compromise, constant negotiation of responsibility. Wow. And, um, you guys do good. You guys do good with that stuff, yeah. but it's because you're meeting as two independent people and it's harder to maintain when you have babies. Yeah. Uh, this is a great choice. As far as I'm concerned, I don't imagine Thank that this you. is going to change for you. And if it does, you can cross that bridge, but I am personally of the mind that loving children working with children, being the best aunt or babysitter or whatever has nothing to do with being a parent. Some people Mm -hmm. are amazing parents and they hate children, you know, and some people love children and they just don't want to parent. Plus
1: it would be a terrible time for your body, but, but that's not right. That's, that's the other thing is, you know, I just went through eight years of extreme pain with my female reproductive system and not to like be morbid I know maybe we should say a trigger warning I know so many women struggle with infertility mm-hmm. and miscarriages and that's something that I am predispositioned to with my you know health so I'm like I'm happy I'm content yeah. I don't want to change anything yeah. I don't want to like risk anything and even self-love like it's a it's a hard thing for me like body dysmorphia like I, I don't know. I just don't have that calling. From my perspective, I just say lean into it, you know, and if mm-hmm. the feeling
0: changes, change your mind, whatever. Yeah. You've changed your mind before. You can change it again. But true. again, there's there's nothing in your chart that suggests the drive to carry a child or the drive to parent. Mm-hmm. So you can put that in your pipe and smoke it and, you know, <laughs> tell all your friends that they can hang out with your pugs when they get tired of their children. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, you know, the, the pressure to have kids I find to be really odd. For everyone who doesn't want to have kids, I'm a big fan of like, okay, cool, don't do it. (laughs) Just what's important for you, what's important for you is having a home and having a family. That's deeply important to you. And if you have a home and you have a family, which are kind of just like synonyms, right? But they touch on different parts, then you're living in accordance with, with your truth. I don't know if you have a home with like a house with land, but eventually I think you're going to need that. You do well with space, but you're young. So, you know, one day it doesn't have to be today. And yeah, the kids thing is a a not showing up as big. That said, is momager
1: your full-time job or do you do something on the side as well? It is full-time job, but I'm leaning into musician more singer songwriter. That's great. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, do you have any
0: questions about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, so it's been an interesting journey. I started when I was, you know, 16 years old and had a really cool opportunity where I was able to record an album at the Goo, Goo Dolls studio in Buffalo. Wow. And, you know, it was a dream come true. My song was on the radio in my hometown. And that's why I moved to Nashville and then had some kind of tough experiences in the music industry put it away for like 10 years. And then my wonderful husband is a musician and a producer. And so we built a studio in our basement and now music is a major part of our lives and he's producing and he's produced new music of mine. And I'm going to be releasing my first few songs soon. And I'm making the music that I want to make. It's all very empowering, kind of like self-love, like, anthem type music, very early 2000s. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I would love to have any guidance on what that side of things. Cause that's like, obviously Doug, the pug is dream come true dream job, but like music for both Rob and I is like our first love, like mm-hmm. that is so such a passion.
0: So first of all, congratulations on all Thank of that. You. It's very cool. And the thing I see for you with music is that you love it. Like you love it, love it. And that thing we talked about that kind of Doug kind of pointed us to earlier about how you can get hypervigilant and kind of come with an editorial eye at things. The further things go with music, the more you're going to have to deal with that part of yourself so that you don't ruin the thing you love by putting too much uh, pressure on it. That's the only kind of word of warning I have around your Mm -hmm. relationship to music is that you know, they say play music, like let's play music and you don't want to ever forget the play part. You got a lot of Leo in you. So, you know, you're well suited to that, but you've got Saturn in the fifth house. And when we have Saturn in the fifth house, you can turn art into a job,
1: which (laughs) on the... (laughs) Okay. That's like everything I do. I'm like, I can monetize this. <laughs> right, right. You can really like yeah. make it into a thing. And
0: that can be really good, right? And it can also strip some of the joy and the play from it. Mm. And so my impulse is to say to you, because listen, real talks, you are impatient. Um, you are very impatient. This is like slowly unwrapping a gift because you know it's gonna be good, mm. not ripping open the the wrapping paper do not rip open the wrapping paper here. Like it's like scratching an itch for you, but it is more related to your anxiety impulses than your creative impulses. Wow. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So you actually are going to start going through something in May of 2022. It's a once in a lifetime transit called Neptune square to the Midheaven. It lasts two years. And there's a lot of things I can tell you about it, but In regards to having um, like a debut album or like debut for the first time in 10 years uh, album, it's actually great transit. It's a sticky time to sign contracts. So if you do have the opportunity to get like a music deal or something, triple check everything. Don't sign away your rights, your IP, you know, be very protective of your IP for all things you're doing in the next couple of years. Aside from like the business side of things, being potentially a little sticky in this period because you have to have good boundaries. That's what this period's going to require of you. In regards to making music and also being seen in the world as a creative, this is an amazing time for that. I would just say that if, if you're going to you know, make a video or perform in some way, there's a value in considering, do you want to show up as Leslie Or do you want to show up as the singer that you are? Like, do you need to kind of create um, like a glamor of yourself when you're on stage so that there's some separation for you? Because if it's all 100% you, 100% of the time, more of your hypervigilance comes through and that's where you get, you have a harder
1: time with play. Yeah. I mean, that checks out because sometimes I feel such a call to feel so authentic and I have to be this vulnerable, authentic, a hundred percent me that, you know, it feels like I'm giving a little bit of my identity to the public. And yeah. I've, I've stepped back a bit from posting so much on my personal Instagram for that reason. It was very helpful while I was going through my endo journey so intensely, because I was able to connect with so many people around the world going through the same thing. But when it comes to like my music and me the essence of me, it feels very sacred. And I feel such a call to like go more inward and protect her. So that's that's a really interesting tip. You know, I have this thing, it's like, I have stupid nicknames
0: that I make for things in my head. And I used to suggest this to my artist clients all the time, or I've suggested this to many artist clients, but I have this kind of concept of action slacks, like as an artist, when you put yourself in the world to put on your action slacks, to put on like some sort of glamor, some sort of thing that reminds your body that you are performing. It's not just, you're not performing your authentic self. Mm. Your performance comes from your authentic self. And it is healthy to have some separation and to have that be, again, glamored because I'm talking about Neptune. So it's really all about glamor so that you you are giving yourself kind of wiggle room around how you share that authentic offering. Does that make sense? The difference? It's something for you to play with. And I am tend to be of the mind that if you have this idea that like you don't really wear skirts, but whenever you perform, you do or like you don't wear hats, but whenever you perform, you do kind of like. Doug and the, the being yeah. having this thing that feels like a reminder to you that you don't have to bear your soul in order to do this thing you love. And I honestly think this is like a common thing for people online. Like this idea that you have to like self-disclose compulsively all the time, so yeah. much pressure to do that. And I don't think we need to cannibalize our insights in order to have careers or to connect to other people this is part of being post Saturn return as you are for a month, you are, or two months, you are post Saturn return, but this is part of being post Saturn return. It's really identifying. I know who I am. How do I want to show up in the world? And knowing that you actually get to set, set the tone for that. You don't have to do anything. You can do what you want. So play with that and keep on playing with it.
1: So cool. Yeah. Oh, I love this so much. Yay. I'm just so excited and can't wait to tell Fiona what a queen she is. And... <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, first of all, I'm so thrilled.
0: And it was so great to get to talk to all, your whole family. I wanna
1: thank you. This has been thank really you. awesome. Thank you.
0: Free Black Therapy is a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing remote mental health services with black mental health professionals for black and African-American individuals. And it's absolutely free. Visit FreeBlackTherapy.org to find a therapist or donate today. You know, I don't always talk about the political return of the United States, and that's for lots of reasons, including there's always a lot going on. But when we go through a transit, either, you know, in this situation, I'm talking about the nation of the United States is going through a transit, But also this holds true for when you as an individual are going through a transit by something like Neptune or Pluto, where it lasts around two years. In that phase, just about everything you experience and that you do, it's a reflection or an embodiment of the transit you're going through, right? And so while it is tempting to imagine that, you know, now that Trump isn't president, you know, there's nothing to worry about and everything is fine in this nation. Uh, That would be an error in judgment. That would be inaccurate. As we are in this transit of the Pluto return, what we do uh, both domestically to the people, the states, the communities here in this nation, but also how we engage with other nations and their feelings about us, their actions towards us, their expectations of us. All of these things are the embodiment and articulation of the Pluto return. And while none of us as individuals can, you know, necessarily change the course of time and history, we are all part of it because we're all here And we're all participants. And whether we as individuals or as communities decide to tap out and do nothing and just wait and see what other people do, uh, whether we are, you know, obstructionists or we are actively trying to uh, shift the course of things, wherever we fall, we are all a part of things. We are all a part of things. There's a couple things that I want to just kind of bring your attention to And one of them is this incredibly big deal, which is that the Republican national community, which is referred to as the RNC, has voted unanimously to end more than three decades of bipartisan civic cooperation and to no longer participate in presidential debates. They don't want to do this because from what I can understand, they feel that it is unfair that journalists ask them the questions that they are asked. But having journalists facilitate uh, presidential debates is really important. It's really important. And you know, if you've been on this journey with me through Ghost of a Podcast over the years, uh, that I am a big, passionate fan of journalism and a free press. And, you know, this is actually very concerning in that regard. You know, whatever you think of this American experiment, whether we have a democracy uh, or it's slipping from our hands or whatever it is, if we want to have a democratic nation, we have to have a free press and we have to have vigorous public debate that is respectful, right? I mean, that's, that's the way we come to the truth. And again, you can apply that to your personal life. You can apply that to this nation. But it is important for you to be aware of this Just like it's important to be aware of the fact that uh, the Republican Party is really passionately and quite effectively passing legislation across this nation to limit or curtail completely our access to abortion, and at the same time going after trans youth and vilifying trans and queer people. And it is an attack on body autonomy. It is an attack on everyone's body autonomy, except for, I guess, straight men. I'm guessing their main hope is white, straight men. But this attack on body autonomy is so profound and so important. And it is absolutely a part of the Pluto return of the United States. So what are you going to do about it, right? Uh, Well, you can make sure that your representatives, your elected officials, know what you think and what you feel. And if you're in the financial position to, you can educate yourself about the companies that you shop with or the banks that you do business with, what they spend their money on, who they're backing. And if there's an alternative that is more ethical and more aligned with your values, put your money there. It is really important that we participate with intention in the world around us. And it is healthy and wise to be outraged about these things. But if we get blocked and stopped up at outrage, then essentially we're aligning with the perpetrators, right? We want to take our outrage and our upset and our demoralization and allow ourselves to experience it until we're ready for action and then find a way to be activated. Find something you can do, big or small. Do something if you can. A meaningful part of that is actually also being educated, you know, hopefully I an astrologer on an astrology podcast, I'm not uh, breaking news to you because this, my friends, is not a news podcast. You know, if any of the things I've said is brand new information, I invite you to become more interested in the world around you and to find sources that are interesting enough, engaging enough for you to actually listen to them. Because to be a spiritual person means caring about others, which brings us to one more very important thing I want to touch on before we get into this week's horoscope, and it's pandemic fatigue. Pandemic fatigue is real. I am fucking exhausted by this pandemic, are you? I know that most all of us, if not all of us, are desperate for this shit to be over, for the pandemic to be over. And if you look at, uh, again, some of the laws that are being passed and the way that you know, many businesses are being run, uh, the way a lot of things are going. You might have the feeling of, oh, it's over. My social media feeds are full of people being like, oh, you know, when the pandemic was happening and now that the pandemic is over. And just because we want the pandemic to be over does not mean it's over. COVID 19 is not endemic yet, it's still a pandemic. And you may have the personal freedom to, I don't know, not wear a mask on a plane or on a public bus to go and get your hair cut, and do it maskless. You, you absolutely, in most places, have the personal freedoms to do that. But it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right. Because listen, we talk about ableism, right? We talk about ableism here on Ghost of a Podcast. We talk about it in the world because we are caring people. Caring for people who are medically sensitive for any reason, for any reason, is such a simple thing to do in your actions, And when all you do is think about it, talk about it like a post about it, it ends up being making you ableist, right? So if you go to a bar and you're, I don't know, 26 years old and everyone in the bar is in their 20s and no one's wearing a mask and it feels fine, right? It feels fine. Everybody there seems healthy. Let's say nobody there has any immune compromised issues. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's consenting to uh, being maskless indoors in an environment. Okay, fine. Let's say that's the case. Every single one of those people step out of the bar and into the world. And because it's an airborne pandemic, all the people they come in contact with are not able to consent to whether or not they're exposed if you persist in walking around without a mask on, right? Whether we're talking about really young children, elderly folks, unvaccinated folks, whether we're talking about people who are struggling with cancer or Lyme's disease or any number of things... It takes so little, it takes so little to wear a mask. I mean, listen, do I like my mask knee? No. Do I find masks to be sometimes claustrophobic and always uncomfortable? Yes. (laughs) It's a pain in the ass, but it is such a small action. It's such a small step to take to actively care for other people, to make sure that others are safe. And in particular, people who are vulnerable medically, people who are essential workers who deal with more exposure. You know, than anyone else because they're working with the public all the damn time, wear a mask around them. You know, it's it's such a small thing. But it is really the ethical thing to do. Just because you can do a thing doesn't make it right. And I wanna invite you, if this makes you feel defensive or angry, which if I'm being honest, whenever I talk about wearing masks on the podcast, I get angry messages from people, which blows my mind. But if it makes you angry, if it makes you defensive. I invite you to actually just like look into that. Like, what is that about? Because, worst case scenario, it's silly and unnecessary to wear a mask, right? But the best case scenario and the most likely scenario is that you are protecting the lives of people who need you to be considerate. Do your best to not be ableist. Investigate the ways in which you may be ableist and understand that wearing a mask indoors in public spaces. Is such a small step towards protecting people in your community. It's such a small thing to do. So you know, maybe maybe put that mask back on. All right, okay. Let us get into your horoscope. And this week we are the final week of April. We're looking at uh, the transits from April twenty fourth through the thirtieth of twenty twenty two. And uh, yeah, there's a lot to say. There's a lot to say. Spoiler alert: It all culminates in an eclipse. On the 30th. And because it all culminates in an eclipse on the 30th, what you should know is that emotions are running high, just really activated, because that's what eclipses do. They intensify our emotions. And that can be a beautiful thing, it can be a stressful thing or an overwhelming thing or anything in between, but it is a thing. It is a thing. So you may notice that you're just feeling really a lot of feelings. Or that the people around you are super emo. And I want to encourage you to have have some amount of patience with that if you can, to be interested in your own emotions or how it feels to be around emotional people. Because in doing that, you're working with the energy instead of fighting against it this eclipse season. Okay, let's get into it. On the 24th, we've got two exact transits, one of which I told you about last week. The first one is called Mercury square to Saturn, and the second is Mercury sextile to Neptune. These two transits happening at the same time is actually really great news because the potential for Mercury sextile to Neptune to soften the impact of Mercury square to Saturn is real, and that's what we want. The square between Mercury and Saturn tends to be a bit stressful. Mercury is your mind, it's your attitudes, your thoughts, uh, it is related to your disposition, and Saturn is scarcity-minded, generally speaking. So when these two planets clash, as a square implies, what we can often find ourselves in is a scarcity mindset. You may be feeling lonely or depressive, your thoughts may be returning to what you don't have or what you wish you had or what you think other people have. It's kind of a depressive transit. It literally can depress your thoughts. It can make it harder for you to listen to others or to feel like you're effectively communicating what's on your mind. This is not a great time for processing with people, even though it is likely to provoke situations where you feel like you should be processing with people. So it's sticky. The Mercury sextile to Neptune is quite supportive. This transit fortifies our ability to listen and to have a more empathetic and considerate uh, mindset. You can see why this would be a really good thing to have alongside the Mercury square to Saturn. It can support us in remembering to be kind and to be patient. When Saturn can put us in a frame of mind where we feel like, well, I need to take care of myself because I'm feeling shitty right? So it can put us in a selfish frame of mind because scarcity mindsets tend to lead towards selfish conduct, right? These transits are really good for organizing uh, your thoughts or your plans in general because Saturn can be quite stabilizing and Neptune is expansive. So this is not a bad time for, you know, looking at your your plans in whatever material way that may show up in your life and considering whether or not they're working for you. It's also a time where you may feel that you have to be humble about something, that you may need to check in with something you've done wrong or that you've failed to do. And instead of getting into a punishing mindset or devolving into any kind of guilt, this is a great time for taking responsibility. And if you do that, it can actually lead to some sort of form of a spiritual experience. In fact, I would argue that being authentically humble is a spiritual experience. So not being a martyr, not being a guilt monster, but owning the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, that can be deeply spiritual and grounding. So simply watch out for negative or scarcity-based thinking. And if you find that you can't get out of those kinds of loops, just know that this isn't a great time for making decisions or having important conversations. If you're feeling lonely, it will likely pass. But again, I want to encourage you to be willing to investigate how your attitudes, your actions, your, you know, the way you're communicating, whether or not you're listening to others, is playing a role in your current state. Because whenever we go through transits, we have the opportunity to make use of the energy and not just, you know, suffer through it and try to to survive. So that's a good thing to think about, this Mercury square to Saturn slash sextile to Neptune. Now, on the 26th, we have two things going on. One is another Mercury transit. we got a lot of Mercury happening this week. Mercury will be forming an exact sextile to Jupiter. This again is an excellent transit to have coincide with the Mercury square to Saturn because it is really expansive. It empowers us to see the big picture. It can put us in uh, kind of an optimistic frame of mind. It can make it easier to be generous with others, to be broad-minded. It can inspire us to have uh, social adventures and to connect with people in a way that feels really life-affirming and lovely. So, yay to Mercury sextile to Jupiter. Now, as an astrologer who has been counseling people for you know more than 25 years, I will say that I am of the mind that whenever we're going through a difficult transit, a painful transit, most humans tend to feel that the most. We tend to focus on that the most. And that's not astrological. That's just human fucking nature, right? So it may be tempting or feel inevitable somehow to slip into the negative frame of mind that Mercury square to Saturn provokes. But... Mercury sextile to Jupiter and sextile to Neptune, exact on the 24th and the 26th, and overlapping with each other, they're there. And all it takes is a shift in perspective. And I say all it takes. It might be difficult for you, depending on a number of factors, but the energy is there if you choose to use it to see the positive side, to be empathetic towards yourself and others, to be broad minded and even optimistic in how you approach things, how you respond to things. Now, I mentioned there's two things happening on the 26th. The other thing happening is the Mercury retrograde shadow begins. So don't freak out. It's not Mercury retrograde. Mercury is not retrograde until May 10th, at which point it will be retrograde until June 3rd. So it's not even a full month. And I promise to talk about that more when there's less going on and closer to the date. But the Mercury retrograde shadow is a time where we start to feel, uh, you know, like it's, it's not raining mercury retrograde, but maybe it's drizzling mercury retrograde. Maybe it's, you know, overcast enough that you're like, oh shit, it, mercury retrograde is coming. You're going to feel it a little bit. And so this is the time to tighten up your plants. Don't wait until the mercury retrograde if you can organize your life in such a way that major decisions or travel plans don't need to happen during that Mercury retrograde phase, May 10th through June 3rd, great. You know, you got enough, you got enough time to do it. Uh, But you know, if you start to notice communication meltdowns or, you know, technological issues, blame it on the shadow. But after you're done blaming, get to work to working with and around it, right? And that brings us, my friends, to the next exact transit of the week. This is a Venus conjunction to Neptune. And this transit, I shall tell you, is not easy. Venus and Neptune are the two romantics of the Zodiac. And when they sit on top of each other in the Zodiac sign of Pisces, no less... This can lead to major romanticism, which, you know, maybe sounds good to you. Maybe that sounds fantastic to you. I'm sure there will be astrologers who interpret this as a lovely, wonderful thing. But here's the problem Neither Neptune nor Venus are known for having healthy boundaries. In fact, both planets tend to want to see the positive side, even when there's lots of evidence that it's not even there on and around the 27th, it's important to not place others on a pedestal, to not idealize situations and people. This is a terrible time for spending large amounts of money on impractical things. Just a terrible time. And I mention it because Venus will often try to buy happy, to get pretty things, to make the ugly feelings we're having kind of go away or or be put out of focus. And Neptune can compel us to feel like, yeah, it'll be fine. Everything will be fine. So yeah, be careful with your finances this week and certainly on and around the 27th. Venus conjunction to Neptune can be a transit that coincides with great romantic potential. And if you experience that, yay you, lean into it. However, don't assume that anything that happens on and around this date is real. And I'm not saying assume it's not real. I'm definitely not saying that. But you want to allow a lot of space for things to play out. Don't attach what's happening in this present moment to the future. Try to just stay present with it. And when it comes to romantic situations and and dynamics, I do want to encourage you to be safe. So if you're having sex with other people, have safer sex. This isn't the time to take any kind of risk with your health. Uh, This is a great time for creative and romantic potential and experiencing, leaning into having romantic and creative potential, enjoying it, letting it fill you up, exploring it. It's not necessarily a great time for, and I put air quotes on this, reality. Not a great time for that. And so you know, time will tell if whatever it is that you're experiencing now or putting your energy into now is going to have roots to it or not. And if a thing doesn't last, that doesn't mean it's not good for you or that it's not valuable to you, right? So be present. Be present if you can. Another thing about the Venus-Neptune conjunction is it can make mundane reality feel like a total boner, like you don't want to deal with it at all. It can be hard to stay associated with things that are boring, or that feel like they're lacking in specialness or, or in meaning. And whether or not that's actually a good thing for you to experience is unique and personal to you. But this transit certainly does not favor uh, routine mundane shit. Also, it can make us feel easily disappointed, again, because we have a tendency to project things onto people or put people or situations on a pedestal. So if you catch yourself imagining that someone is perfect or that, you know, your new crush is absolutely amazing and nothing could possibly go wrong, you know, remember my words and give it a little bit of time to see what actually happens. Don't attach to those feelings, even if you're having them. The best way to enjoy this transit is. Without attachments. And that is difficult, but it is good work. You know what I mean? It's good work if you can get it. And if you can't get it, it's still good work. The final thing I'll say about this transit is Neptune governs anxiety. And so for some people, this transit may provoke or kick off body image issues, issues with with your gender, uh, beauty stuff. You know, it might make you feel anxious about these things or like it's hard to be in your body around these things. And if that emerges for you, while again, I don't encourage you to attach to your narratives, especially if the narratives you have running are around what other people think about you or what other people feel about you, you know, because you're likely to be off about that. I do want to encourage you to not abandon yourself around these feelings and thoughts and to instead embrace yourself. If you're feeling shitty about yourself my advice is to be kind to yourself. Oh, you're having a shit day and you feel shitty. What do you need? How can you nurture yourself? Neptune can kind of compel us to give ourselves less, to like starve ourselves out, to go into a kind of martyred or denial-based approach at self-care, and that really doesn't work. So instead, I want to encourage you to nurture yourself if you're struggling with any kind of anxiety stuff on and around this date. And luckily, On the 28th, we have an exact transit, another one from Mercury. This one is a Mercury trying to Pluto that is very supportive in doing that. Mercury trying to Pluto uh, is a transit that empowers us to go deep without a lot of pain. And so this transit makes it more possible or likely that you will be able to explore complicated and potentially painful or difficult thoughts and attitudes And to do it with a healing mindset instead of a self-flagellation mindset. This is a great time for having deep conversations with yourself and with people. And if you have a shrink, it's a great time for therapy, any kind of talk therapy. Mercury trying to Pluto supports us in going deep. And this is therefore a really good transit for healing work. And because we are, you know, still feeling that Mercury square to Saturn, uh, because we are still feeling that Venus conjunction to Neptune, it's important that you direct your thinking towards what is constructive, what is healthy, what is uh, supportive, because it's always compelling to point our attention towards our loudest thoughts and our loudest feelings, but they're not reliably the most honest and true ones to what we're actually experiencing. Right. So be willing to do a little bit of digging, a little bit of self-exploration here, because the transits we're going through support being able to make a great deal of headway. If you do that, you know, there are some difficult transits happening, but there are very supportive transits happening alongside them. And whenever I see this, I get excited because I know that that if you're willing to do the work, this can be a healing time. And I should contextualize this by saying, having a healing time doesn't mean having an easy or a fun time inherently. But it does mean that if you know, the universe is giving you a bunch of lemons, you will make delicious and nutritious lemonade out of it. So all of that said, my loves, it brings us to the 30th. And on the 30th, we have a solar eclipse in Taurus. And on the same day, we have an exact Venus conjunction in Jupiter. And I'm going to unpack this chart with you. But before I do, my loves, let me remind you of this. Solar eclipses, lunar eclipses, all the eclipses are not a good time for doing manifestation work. It is not a good time for doing spiritual work. So listen, when I say don't do spiritual work, if you're a spiritual person and everything you do is essentially spiritual, then keep on doing you. I'm saying this is not a good time to do extra, like don't manifest. It's not a great time for taking uh, drug trips. This is not a good time for trying to pile more on to the energy that the eclipse brings. This is when we are meant to let things unfold and reveal themselves to us, not to try to make things happen. And, you know, the, the way that I always try to describe this is when we try to manifest or do spiritual work during eclipse season, and in particular on the eclipses, it's like doing so on a fault line, you know, and I sit here in the Bay Area and I know all about fault lines. It's where earthquakes happen and it can be very dangerous because the energy is unpredictable and it can go really far outside of our control uh, quickly. And so it's a time not to do but instead to receive. The thing about eclipses is that they do have like an air and an energy of inevitability to them. There's something evolutionary about them, right? And so what happens through the eclipses is meant to aid or reflect our own evolution, kind of cool. And and this is true for us as a community, us as a nation, us as a as a world. And it's also true for us as individuals, of course. And so be careful, my loves, you know, don't take on more than you need to, is what I'm trying to get at here. Now, solar eclipses happen during new moons. And that means the sun and moon are exactly conjoined during a solar eclipse. And here we have a solar eclipse in Taurus. And this is a really potent form of energy because our feelings, the moon and our identity, the sun uh, are in alignment and the potential for uh, coming into greater clarity and being able to seed things is really strong. But of course, there's a but come on there's always a but but with this solar eclipse, we have a Uranus conjunction to the Sun and Moon so the Uranus is at fourteen degrees and the Sun and Moon are at ten degrees and if you want to know to the minute per usual, subscribe to astrology for days where you can get uh, you know the exact details on all the transits when they're happening and the degrees at which they are happening over at Days dot com okay so having Uranus conjoin the sun and moon creates this unpredictability to this eclipse. Taurus doesn't like unpredictability. It's a sense-based fixed earth sign. It likes stability and some measure of predictability and beauty and diplomacy, right? And Uranus says, fuck all of that. Let's run. And so this transit, comes to us with a wild card and this wild card is uranus this may mean that something emerges within you something emerges in your life that better aligns you with with what is authentic and gives you greater freedom or puts some sort of spotlight on where you will achieve more freedom or how you can uh, be more authentic beautiful right It can also utterly destabilize you and make you feel like something came out of left field and it totally threw you for a loop and you don't know what to do. Now, again, it's an eclipse, so don't do anything. Instead, try to stay present. Acknowledge your feelings. Be present for whatever it is that's happening now. And part of being present is being cognizant of our past and centered around what we do or don't know about our future the Uranus conjunction to this eclipse is going to bring about the unpredictable. In addition to that, Uranus is related to our nervous system. So it may make you feel a little anxious. Uh, Again, this this kind of like uh, restlessness that Uranus is known for is actually reiterated in a couple places in this chart. Uranus is not about the status quo. Uranus is individualistic and all about kind of like going its own way. It can be associated with humanitarian efforts, but it's also associated with individualism, which, as we know, can be quite toxic. And so this transit may kind of bring up a situation or feelings or some sort of revelation that is really freeing or it may bring you around a corner and land you in some place that you really weren't planning on being. And you kind of got to roll with it one way or another. Now, in this chart, we have a Mars in Pisces sextile to all those Taurus placements, right? And in fact, it's worth mentioning that including the North Node, we've got four planets in Taurus. We've also got four planets in Pisces. So it's very empathetic, very loving energy. On the positive, on the negative, these are energies that incline us to want to say everything is fine. Everything's going to be fine. Nothing is bad. And that can get us into trouble. The Mars sextile to the solar eclipse and to Uranus is fortifying and strengthening. It empowers us to take action if action is needed. It can be really good for uh, sex or for moving forward with your goals. But On a deeper, more emotional level, because again, this is an eclipse, it is strengthening and it can really help to fortify you. So if you're experiencing classic Mars energies, aka anger, passion, ambition, horniness, um, all of these things, again, I want to encourage you to explore those emotions, be interested in those emotions, because if they are coming up during an eclipse, uh, yeah, there's a reason for it. And is one worth exploring? One way or another, this eclipse is likely to bring about some sort of turning point. And that turning point may be really subtle and very personal and internal for you. Or it may be something kind of major that happens in your life. Whatever it is, remember that Taurus is a sign that is associated with our value systems. So make sure that the ways that you're choosing to behave, uh, the ways that you're talking to yourself, where you're treating other people. Your actions and attitudes in general reflect your values. This is a very Venusian solar eclipse, right? Because we've got this Venus-Jupiter conjunction with Neptune involved, and Venus is the ruling planet to the zodiac sign of Taurus. And so it may be tempting to go the diplomatic way, to be accommodating instead of being authentic. But I want to bring your attention to what is authentic and to act as diplomatically as you feel is appropriate around what is authentic instead of centering, how can I be accommodating? How can I be easygoing in this situation? If we use this eclipse energy to become more authentic, then the turning point it will bring us to will inevitably be in our best interest. You know, we want to lean into all of the mercury energy that I've been describing happening throughout the week, because, you know, we'll still be feeling these transits, though much more widely. Be interested in how you feel. Be interested in the world around you. Be interested in your beliefs, where they come from, who they benefit, how they're functioning, you know, how you're engaging with others, whether you're listening, whether you're being verbally clear, uh, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Be interested in it. Now my loves, my sweet nerdy loves. That's it. That's what I need to tell you about this damn eclipse. I'm going to run through the transits of the week again, if you're taking notes on the 24th. Mercury forms an exact square to Saturn, and Mercury forms an exact sextile to Neptune. On the 26th, we have an exact Mercury sextile to Jupiter, and the Mercury retrograde shadow begins. On the 27th, Venus forms an exact conjunction to Neptune. On the 28th, Mercury forms an exact trine to Pluto. And then on the 30th, we have an exact conjunction between Venus and Jupiter in Pisces, and a solar eclipse in Taurus, which I failed to mention, will be exact at 1.28 p.m. Pacific time. This is an important week to be inquisitive and to be willing to shift in the direction of what we value, what we love, and what's authentic to us. Easier said than done sometimes, but that's the damn work. As always, I thank you for joining me for another week of Ghost of a Podcast. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts because it really helps the show. If you'd like to learn more with me, you can visit the shop page on my website for classes and, you know, my book and all kinds of fun stuff you can learn with me. I mean, really, if you haven't gone to my website yet, lovelinyatto.com, you will be delighted when you arrive. And finally, if you would like to send a question to be answered on the podcast, you can do that over on my website too. Stay safe out there and do your best to keep showing up.
1: Every year they say the end is near, but we're still here. Yeah, we're still here. Oh.